Hello and a very warm welcome back to the latest edition of the BRFCS podcast. Astonishingly, this is episode 83. Let's see what we've got lined up for you in this episode. Hello everyone. I don't know about you, but after watching Malta vs England on Friday night, I for one have a newfound respect for third division football as sporting theatre. This episode comes to you on the back of a couple of league victories over Bradford City and MK Dons, and of course a 1-0 home win over Stoke City in the competition that some people are calling the what it's 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 on tonight. You sure, Cup? There is a vicious rumour that we also played another game in another competition since we last convened, but I can't seem to find a record of it anywhere. Let's agree never to mention it again. Well, not until part three, anyhow. On to tonight's episode. The transfer window has seen us actively moving to strengthen the squad here on the pod. Uh, but Josh Boswell is so gutted that his move to the Barca podcast fell through at the death. His agent tells me he's gone AWOL with a stress-awaited back injury, and as he wasn't at pod training today, there are some team changes tonight. You always need a strong bench with a successful team, the experts say, and that's why we're delighted to bring in a late substitute in the form of the fans' favourite, Linz Lewis. Linz has flown in from Italy today especially to be with us, and we're very appreciative. So welcome once more to the pod, Linz. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very excited to be back. Honoured to have you, given your travelling. I'm sure this will be every bit as exciting as a Formula One race. Ha! And coming in on a deadline day loan move, we have an experienced professional joining us for his debut BRFCS pod. It's a veteran of TalkSport 2, the Whistleblowers pod. Can there really be any other podcasts out there? Yes, it's the Marple Leaf himself, Michael Taylor. Michael, I trust you're going to bring some gravitas and experience to the pod and guide these callow youths accordingly? Yeah, if the knees hold out, I'll do my very level best here. Thank you. Splendid. Well, our contract extension could be yours if you perform well, you know, however how it goes. Um, we also have a, a guest who will be in, interviewing on a one-to-one basis in part two. It's uh, Scott Sumner, who, as many of you will know, is the driving force behind the relaunch of 4,000 Holes, which is the Rovers fanzine that I think had been on hiatus, perhaps for almost as long as the BRFCS podcast. Scott will share with us his trials and tribulations uh, surrounding that project in part two, but I'm delighted to say he can join us in part one now. Scott, welcome on board. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Delighted to have you. So the running order tonight is in part one. We will cover the uh, matches that have been played since our last um, our last podcast in part two as i say we'll talk uh, in more details of scott about the four thousand holes relaunch and in part three inspired by a recent blog of our loan signing mr taylor we'll have a broad-ranging discussion on some aspects of modern football in particular the burnley rivalry bubble fixtures fans that can't be trusted and so forth and wondering when we'll ever be able to compete on a level playing field again and also, is there any room for nuance in football these days? Does everything have to be so black and white? So that's our running order. Let's get on with the show. And part one. So we're going to have to talk about it. There's no getting away from that, I guess. But um, that Burnley game, let's get it out of the way. We'll revisit it in more detail in part three. But 
How bad was it? Michael? Yeah, it, it was dreadful. Yeah, I, I, I came away feeling very, very empty. Never have we played Burnley when there's been two divisions between us, or a, a division between us. Even in those dark, even in those glory days when they were behind us, we never got to play them. So we never knew what the gulf was. But to be reminded of it on our home turf, a ground on which we'd had many memorable victories, um, I just thought we were outclassed from 1 to 11 all the way up the pitch. Um, there were people I know, like Jim Wilkinson, a blogger, the blue eyed boy, who questioned the commitment of the players. But basically, Burnley were fitter, faster, better passers of the ball, better trappers of the ball. And they showed that they were either a Premier League team and we're a, a third division team. And you can't come away as a Rovers fan from a game like that and not be gutted. It, it, it could have been five. I thought in the second half they really stepped off the gas, I've got to be honest. Linz, what was it like from your perspective? Um, I think the first 20 minutes we were OK. And then after 20 minutes it got poorer and poorer. But... I think we've got to be realistic about the golfing class and if it had been any other team on any other night, if it had been a Stoke or a West Brom, they might have fielded half a side, they wouldn't have been as up for it. But when it's Burnley, it was always going to be a scrap. And I think if we took anything from it, it would have been a miracle. But I didn't question the commitment either. I thought they tried. I just thought quite simply Burnley were better than us, which is difficult to say. Well, one buffoon on this podcast said he thought we were going to be OK. I have no idea who that was. Um... <laughs> But, you know, what can we say? Um, yeah, it wasn't clever, was it? Scott, from your perspective, did you get much material for 4,000 holes out of that game? Um, it was a strange one, actually, because um, I was in the, I was producing the, the fanzine at that point, so I was wondering what way to go with, with Burnley content. Um, so I was sort of in two minds, but had to leave stuff out just in case the worst happened and we did lose. So um, that's just the way it goes, I suppose. Yeah, it was, it was a disappointing evening. I say we'll, we'll not dwell on it, I think, for the sake of, of all of our well-beings, but we will come back to in part three to discuss some of the other issues around the game. Let's move on to something a little bit more uh, positive. Uh, following that game, we travelled away to uh, Burnley's Yorkshire Rivals, as many people would have it. Bradford City, uh, a team that hadn't lost at home, I think, for 18 months and not a result I was expecting. How on earth did we pull that one off? Linz, what were your thoughts? Oh, I had the best day. I had so much fun. Football aside, it was a great day out. Um, I just thought it clicked what we'd said in the last podcast about what was missing. It felt like that was there. I think we, you know, speaking to some Bradford fans on the day, we were lucky and they weren't at their best. But yeah, I saw the Rovers that I wanted to see people who were interested and committed. And that Richie Smallwood song will be in my head now forever. So whoever invented it needs a medal and a recording contract because that was sung for 95 <laughs> minutes solidly. Michael, what, what do you think it taught us about uh, the division that we find ourselves in now? Well, of course, that was before the Burnley game. And I think maybe we talked ourselves up a little bit so that uh, we were capable of taking on our, our local rivals. Um, I thought that if there were any lessons to be learned, it was from the, the previous two games where we'd come off very poorly both to uh, Southend and Doncaster. And I, I was kind of desperate, really, for Rovers to play a formation that the players seemed to understand. And that's what I think we did at Bradford. I th thought the team was set out properly. Um, I thought some individuals put in some fantastic performances. As Lynn said, Richie Smallwood egged on by that Earth, Wind and Fire Classic, 
from the from the Rovers following fans. And yeah, it was a great day. But it was great to see the the team put in a real shift and fully deserved the win. And it was just good to see um, see us turning over a team who haven't been beaten on their own part for so long as well. Yeah, I think that was uh, particularly impressive. You are quite right to correct me on my ordering. Of course, I've got them on the running order in this world. That's not the order that we played them, schoolboy era. I don't know how I'll be able to edit that out. If not, everybody can have a good laugh. <laughs> we have to talk about Burnley first. <laughs> Get it out of the way, clear it away. Scott, exactly. Bradford City away. What, what were you hoping for and what perhaps were you fearing? Um, I was fearing a defeat, to be honest, I think after the early season form, but obviously we, we turned it round and nicked that 1-0. I think what most impressed me was the fan turnout. I think we had almost 2,000 over there, I mean, albeit a short journey from Blackburn. I think that's a good sign for what's to come with so many Northwest derbies coming up. Um, I think almost 3,000 tickets sold for Rochdale this Saturday. And that will mean, you know, so much more for the team. Absolutely. And you know, okay. Well, from Bradford City away in the first away win of the season, we got a first home win of the season against MK Dons. Four-one looks convincing, but I am not so sure it was first-hand. I must admit. Um, what do you think, Michael? I thought for um, again the first twenty minutes we looked like we were by far the better team. But then again, I thought that at South End, although we had nothing to show for it. It was a surprise getting an early goal, which I haven't seen at Ewood from a Rovers side for so long. <laughs> um, and then um, then for the middle part of the game, it was really frustrating. Um, I thought, is this what the quality of football is going to be like? Balls getting knocked out, um, passes going astray, tackles mistimed. And then 20 minutes to go, everything started clicking into place. Um, 4-1 probably flattered the result of them, flattered uh, Rovers. Um, But I'll take the three points all day long. And and I think we've got to start turning in more performances like that and getting the habit of scoring goals and poaching goals. I love Mulgrew's header, so casual. Takes that little shifty step and bang. It was a delight, Um, wasn't it? An absolute delight. It was a a real canny professional... uh... Uh, that's what he brings to the party for us, I think. He's just, he just gives us an extra dimension. And obviously, we'll, we'll talk about his injury later on in the pod. Um, when he's not there, you, you look around and say, well, who's going to bring us some class? Um, the, the MK Dons game, Antonson, I thought he was busy. He ran around a lot, but I'm not sure to what effect, I have to say. Um, Smallwood, for me, again, was the, was the standout player in terms of getting a foot in and just nibbling at people and just making life difficult for the opposition. And we, we've lacked that for quite some time, so it was uh, it was really good. Linz, where do you think we still need to make improvements? Because, you know, the, that wasn't a perfect performance by any stretch of the imagination. Where do you think we could get better? I'm not sure we need perfect in this division. I think we need a performance like we had against MK Dons where there will be periods of poor football and we need to be able to get through that and to make those moments that we get count. And I think we're going to see a lot of those sorts of games. But the difference with that game was we took our chances. And just on the subject of quality, I'd like to chuck Corey Evans into the mix as I think he's been out outstanding I love Smallwood but I think he's very much an unsung hero and we need to keep him fit as well because him coming back has made a big difference for us 
Yeah, I think that's a good shout, I have to say. That's a, it's a good shout. Now, confession, another one from on my perspective is that I originally planned to record this podcast last Tuesday and one of our panel, Mr Sumner, quite rightly pointed out we had a game. So you can figure how large the uh, Checker Trade trophy was listed in my calendar for last Tuesday. Did anybody go? Did you actually go, Scott? I did, yes. Tell um, us all about it, please. Well, uh one of, one of the um, dullest games I've seen, I think. Um, quite a bit of material from my fanzine, actually, from the comments of fans around me, which were, were quite humorous, but um, they'll come out in due course. Um, but yeah, the actual match, it wasn't brilliant. Um, there, there wasn't much quality on show, really. Maybe some, some of the Rovers youngsters, you know, obviously didn't do themselves any harm. Um, you know, the full-backs did an absolute great job. And then, obviously, Nuttall came on and grabbed the goal. So it, it was good to get that win. But as an actual match, no, it wasn't great, really. And I think it's just a reflection of what that tournament's turned into, really. Is that the first time you've seen Nuttall play? Uh, yes, it had been. And obviously, only came on for, what was it, 20, 30 minutes and... Just looked so sharp, so lively, and so strong. It actually reminded me in some ways of Yakubu. Don't know if anyone else has made that comparison, but really? just that kind of that strength and um, you know that that pace. Um. Well, I think uh, if he carries on at that rate, he deserves a chance. Certainly, uh, I guess the observation I would make is people were sort of saying you know, he scored on his senior debut, but it was still against an under 20, an under twenty three team albeit with Charlie Adam in that well-known, promising teenager. There's a big step up. I think we've seen it on a number of occasions where we've looked at players and they've come in in pre-season friendlies and you thought, oh, they'll get a run like Willem Tomlinson a couple of years back. And it's a, it is a major, major leap, but it is promising to see a player scoring goals for fun at whatever level it is. I think it gives us some options. Michael, I take it you didn't come across from Marple to Blackburn for that game, did you? <laughs> No, I didn't. No, I didn't. But I've seen Joe Nuttall. Uh, I saw him in the pre-season friendly at Morecambe, which is close to hometown. And um, I'll admit, he spent most of the evening running around a farmer's field with a banjo trying to slap a a cow on his backside. I thought he was uh, fairly limited. He hit the corner. In fact, he missed the corner flag with one shot. It went that awry. But it's good to see him getting his confidence up and and getting some games in and, and scoring goals because whatever level you score goals at, it gives you the confidence to believe that you can do it at whatever level that you put on the pitch to play at. Absolutely. And yeah, it's good to have people snapping at, um, at, at our other forwards' heels, at, at Danny Graham, at Samuel um, and Antonson. It's good to have options. I do wonder how surprised Danny Graham is that he isn't a regular. Uh, and I, I do hope that he responds to it in the right way because I thought he was thoroughly lethargic against Doncaster. That was one of the most miserable performances I've seen in many a year from a Rovers team, and I'm going back as far as the 60s. Let's move on to the transfer window. And I make it 13 signings in this window, so there can be no accusation that it isn't Tony Mowbray's team anymore. Let's just run through those. Whittingham, Smallwood, Gladwin, Dak... Caddis, Nuttall, Samuel, Chapman, Luke Weiler, Antonson, Harper, Hart and Downing. Three coming in on deadline day, which is possibly three more than I thought we'd bring in. Harper, Hart and Downing. Does that give us cover in the right places, Michael? I think I'm still a little bit anxious about cover at the back, particularly with 
Daryl Lenahan having another having an injury, which he's had an operation on this week. Um, I mean, I know Lindsay was saying about the song from the disco playbook for um, uh, Richie Smallwood. I was after the, the uh, Doncaster game thinking, Ward, huh, what is it good for? Um, and and he's, he's not necessarily improved. He's, he's not had a barnstormer of a game for us for a while. I know he was injured most of last season. Um, he's looked a little bit more solid these last two games when we've won. I don't think the, the goal was necessarily his fault. At, um, in, in, the, in those two games, um, but of the signings, I think the the, the the promises in midfield. I mean, we're absolute embarrassment of riches now. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting challenge. Um, I mean, last year, of course, we had Byrne and Samuelson come in, and everybody who hadn't seen them play or watched the YouTube highlights was waxing lyrical about uh, how these two were going to were going to boss it. Um, and we've got Raheem Harper, a seventeen-year-old kid coming from a Premier League club. Um, Linz, what, what do you know about any of our inbound players? I'd like to put a shout out that Hart is very beautiful, which I know has no relevance to football, but I think is important. Um, Harper, I've watched a little bit on, read a little bit on, and I know Rich Sharp came out yesterday or today and said he's interviewed him, but he was really impressed with him and his commitment. Um, I just think for me, we we trust Mowbray. He's done nothing for us not to trust him. It is his squad now, and it's this time between now and January. We need to see what he's going to do. And I agree, almost some positions, we've got too many people, and I can't quite work out who he's putting where, which I didn't think I would be saying, like, that we've got too many players. But in some positions, I think we have. Yeah, I think the midfield riches that was just touched upon is certainly a valid point. I can only think that Harper is um, an impact player from the bench. I wouldn't have thought he, he would expect him to start many, if any, games. Art, a young left-back whose family apparently are Rover supporters, that's fine. Downing, a reserve centre-back from Milton Keynes Dons, well, who knows? Uh, who knows, but it looks like he might be playing on Saturday. Scott, how much material did you get for the first edition on Peter Whittingham? Because if it wasn't much, I suspect you might be getting more for episode two. Uh, where, where do you stand on Mr Whittingham? Nothing on Whittingham, actually, to be honest. Um, probably a reflection of his performances, which have been pretty anonymous so far. So um, we'll see as the weeks go by. I've got high hopes for Whittingham. We all know that he's a quality player. OK, he hasn't hit the form so far, but, you know, come New Year, even if it takes him that long, he could prove to be a very vital player for us, I think. Well, I hope he finds his niche, because I have to say, so far, my thoughts on him are we're in danger of having signed another Danny Murphy here, if I'm not careful. I would be interested to see how much patience Rovers fans have with him. I suspect if the team carries on winning, it will be a lot more than they had with Danny Murphy, but uh, needs to show a lot more for me. Anybody else stood out for you in the 13 signings? Michael, anybody that's caught your eye in particular? Yeah, Chapman. Um, I, th- I thought he was great coming off the bench against um, MK Dons. I think he was a constant threat. He cut in from the byline, which again ter- is going to terrorise defences in that division. And if he can have the confidence to do that more and more, then we're going to rip defences apart. And he's going to be putting the ball on, on Samuel's toe, who, you know, on the, on the quiet, he's chalked up quite a lot of goals already. So I think we can um, we, we can see if he gets the right service, he could be back in a few. Um, I think we've talked we've talked Richie Smallwood um, up 
sufficiently there. Um, and my YouTube favourite is um, Lutweiler, the uh, Canadian goalkeeper, who made a great save the other night, which I don't know if any of you have seen. He might of their World Cup qualifiers. He's been getting a lot of love on Twitter for that clip, certainly. I think that gif has been yeah, doing the rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Linz, who else has caught your eye? It's got to be Mr Love Island, Mr Dak, when he's fit. Um, I think, like I say, can't stand him as a person, but I genuinely think when he's fit, he will tear this division apart and he will be like a new side-in. So I don't know how long until he's back, but yeah, him and, him and Smallwood for me. Right, well, let's talk about our injury crisis at centre-back because um, Darren Lenahan revealed on Twitter this week that he'd broken his foot and is likely to be out for at least two, if not three months, which I guess we're looking at um, 2018 before we see the best of him. And of course, Charlie Mulgrew inevitably, inevitably went off injured for Scotland. Um, Michael, uh, you have an update for us, I believe, on Charlie Mulgrew's injury. Well, this is the benefit of having teenage children who spend all their time on Rover's social media. Yeah, apparently he's, he's going to be fit to play on Saturday. Uh, if he isn't, who would you play at the back? I think we'd be probably so short of options. We'd probably either stick Derek Williams in there alongside um, Ward or maybe even give um, Downing a run out. Not one for the faint-hearted Rochdale away, I wouldn't have thought. So I hope whoever's in there is um, is well-versed and is ready to expect it. Rochdale, who's going? Linz, are you going to Rochdale? I am. Have you been there before? I went to a pre-season game there last year, which was an interesting insight into the sort of grounds I'm going to go to this year. So I feel prepared. I understand it's like a shed. I'm good with that. <laughs> well, this, this is where the old fart in me comes in, you see, because I can remember as a small boy going to Scotland and in the then main stand, they were very proud of the fact that they just installed some new seats and the new seats were taken from a recently demolished cinema in the centre of Rochdale. Now, the only problem was the roof didn't quite cover all the seats, nor did it uh, provide any protection when the wind, as it often does, blew in horizontally. So it had rained pretty much all morning. And when we took up our seats, they were absolutely saturated. And I remember, we, I think we had to buy about six programmes for each seat to sit on just to keep our bums dry. So uh, Rochdale, uh, sadly, will have to do without my company on Saturday. I can't make it on Saturday, but that's my abiding memory, I think, from the early 70s, the last time we played them in the, in the league fixtures. So, Scott, are you going to Rochdale? Yeah, I've um, actually signed up for Rochdale, Scunthorpe and Shrewsbury this month. So, um, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to these, these new grounds, as well as we want to put a positive spin on our demise into League One. We'll have to have a rendezvous at Scunthorpe then, I think. Um, we'll have a, a mini-pod interview or something at Scunthorpe. Yeah. So Scunthorpe, yes, that's a, that's a ne uh, the next game after Rochdale next Tuesday. Potential for another new ground, as we've said. Um, what do we think our prospects are uh, away at Scunthorpe? Linz, any, any observations, any expectations? I'm still on in an hour in whether I'm going to go, which probably means I will. Um I think if we play like we've played in the last couple of games, we should be winning these games. But the problem as a Rovers fan is you don't know who's turning up from one week to the next. So who knows? Well, I think you'll have to you'll have to go now. Now that we've sort of said there's all these new grounds, it's just an opportunity mm. for it's the right side of the country as well for someone from Nottingham. Hour and a half for me. Plus, I heard there was rumours of like a Bovril or something being offered. I, I, think, so. I think I owe you at least that. Yeah, whether it's got a shot of vodka in it depends on whether you're driving or not. But there we go. <laughs> And then our next home game after that, the proper Dons. 
Not the Ersatz MK variety. From those three games, what do we think is a realistic points target? Michael, what do you hope for? Seven points. I think I think a point at Scunthorpe at this stage in the season would be a, a decent result. They've made a flying start. And, you know, this is the thing with us dropping down into this division. Most of us, if we're honest, don't know that much about the teams that we're lining up against. You know, you look at the team sheet or you find out who we're playing against. And you're like, like against Southend. Anton Ferdinand's playing in their back Absolutely. four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then oh, there's that, that Kitely who used to play for Burnley. And beyond that, it was a mystery. And, and this is happening, you know, most weeks now. Josh Morris plays for Scunthorpe. That's pretty much all I know about them. And he's scoring a lot of goals, and he's good from set pieces. They had a good go of it last season, but I think we've got to we've got to get a win at Rochdale, and we've got to be winning all our home games, frankly. Well, Rochdale has got that it's that horrible statistic where they haven't won a game yet. Two uh, two defeats, three draws, and of course they're down in in twenty first with just three points. <laughs> you just know what's going to happen, don't you? Team with it, we're on a bad run of form without a win. Ah, oh, Blackburn's our next fixture, and then we'll go to Scunthorpe and win. Just watch. Uh, and Scunthorpe have won the last three. So um, I think the last time we played a team managed by ex Rovers, not legend, uh, but still much loved Keith Hill was when he was Barnsley manager and I think beat him around Christmas and I think he got the bullet the next day. That was when um, Gary Bowyer stepped in, wasn't it? And, yeah. and the Rovers fans yeah. sang Nobody's Blue and White Army, which uh, made me chuckle, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was better than our last visit to Barnsley where the Rovers fans treated the manager in a slightly different, uh, different way. Not quite as respectful with some justification, I have to say. Yes, so those are the upcoming fixtures. So that's the end of part one. Uh, Stay with us, and in part two, we'll be talking to Scott about 4,000 holes. Welcome back to part two, everyone. Uh, Many of you will have seen that 4,000 holes made a welcome return this season, with the latest issue going on sale before the MK Dons game. We're delighted to be joined, as we've already said, by Scott Sumner. Scott, a warm welcome once again. How on earth did this all come about? Um, I suppose there was two aspects to it, both from a personal point of view and then a 4,000 holes point of view, if you like. From my own point of view, I was actually working as a civil engineer for about 10 years, and about a year ago, I decided to pack that in, just have a bit of a career change, see how it goes. So I retrained as a sports journalist, Um, so just this last summer, I qualified and sort of feeling my way about a bit and, you know, not sure what to do. Um, quite enjoyed the, the print media side of journalism. Um, spotted that 4,000 holes, you know, hadn't been going for some years. So I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. I'm a big Rovers fan. Like I said, I enjoy, you know, putting stuff like that together. So what's the worst that could happen? But yeah, the second part to it, like I said, was from a 4,000 holes point of view. Um, the, the actual fanzine started in 1989, um, and now we're up to issue 87. Um, and it's, I suppose it's that word legacy, which we've heard talked about a lot ever since Mrs. Desai made that famous comment about respecting the legacy. Um, but all of a sudden, with 4,000 holes, you've got 87 issues. It's been going since 1989. That's the legacy. So how, how difficult was it to resurrect? Were there any sort of like legal issues? I mean, who, who actually owned the intellectual property? I'm not sure about intellectual property, actually. I just got in touch with the previous editor, which was Dan Clough, um, and he was, um, he was just 
he was just happy, I think, that someone wanted to take it over because it takes a lot of time and effort to cobble it all together and to make it into something which people want to buy. Um, so it's just a case of approaching him and, you know, getting it handed over. Um, Sounds like he was delighted that somebody showed an interest then. Yeah, yeah, he, he really was because obviously the fact that he was doing it previously, he, he's a big Rovers fan. So, um, you know, like I said, it's a shame after a four-year absence, you know, that that should continue any longer. So I think we were both happy that it's it's moving forward again. Now. Excellent. How much interest has there been, both from the perspective of people contributing and also people willing to buy it? Um, I've been so thankful. I, I can't, can't tell you enough about people who have both contributed and wanted to buy it. I was a bit wary in this day and age, you know, Fanzines are very much a late 80s, 90s kind of thing. Things have moved on. It's all about internet content these days. Will it actually sell? Um, but I decided to give it a go because just, you know, you just go on Twitter and you see the number of Rovers fans are out there and who are, you know, actively still engaged with the club and they really care about it. Um, and I just thought, yeah, there's, there must be a, a market for this at this time with, with the ownership issues which we've got um so there's never been a, a, a greater time for a fanzine than, than when you know you've got issues the owners and fans want an independent voice and maybe something to laugh at as well it's almost a perfect storm isn't it because i think if if we're successful i think people like to read more um humorous side side of things as well but it can also be a campaigning magazine as you rightly say because of all the the, you know, the well-versed ownership issues i think it's another another means of sort of getting all that information out there so fingers crossed for you how often are you hoping to publish during the season i'm hoping to go for say once every two months um obviously it all depends on people contributing but as i've said before the, the number of people have contributed to this issue 87 in what was a short time scale, I, I sort of cobbled something together in a couple of weeks and I put the feelers out, emails out, tweets out, asking people, would you be interested in contributing? And I was just I was just so glad that so many people came forward with ideas, suggestions, articles, and not just rubbish stuff. You know, if, if you bought the bought the fanzine and you've read what's in there, there's you know, there's some really quality submissions in there. So I'm, I'm quite proud of what's come together. So hopefully I can continue that through the season and I'm hoping to try and get four or five issues out this season. Fabulous. I have to say I was very impressed with the quality, the print quality and the uh, the fact that we had colour. That was uh, that was just uh, <laughs> a real a real surprise. I think after having been used to the monochrome or the, with occasional flashes of blue of the old the old version, this was bringing yeah. us back up to date. Yeah, I was a bit wary about getting the quality right because you never know until you've got them dropped. I know fanzines by the very nature they don't have to be pristine and perfect and glossy. You know, it's they're supposed to be a bit raw and you know off the wall. But I still you know. I'm, I want to put together a quality product at the end of the day because I think that will make people want more. Excellent. Well, all the very best. Obviously, you've got all our support here and uh, I, hope that, uh, I hope that it carries on. And if there's anybody listening out there that wants to, wants to contribute to the next edition, how do they contact you, Scott? Yeah, so we've got an email address, roversfanzine at gmail.com. So just fire an email over with any ideas. 
not necessarily long articles, just snippets of anything which you'd want to get included. Alternatively, tweet us, just give us any ideas, feedback, whatever. Everything's welcome. You know, it, it is a fanzine made by the fans for the fanzine, so it, it, it's up to the fans. Well, thanks once again, Scott. Will you hang around for part three? I will do. Super. That's part two, everybody. Stay brown, and we will talk about Michael Taylor's recent blog. Welcome back to part three, everybody. And this section is unashamedly inspired by Michael's recent post on his Marple Leaf column uh, entitled Grumpy Rovers Post, Five Things I Dislike About Modern Football This Week. And it caught my eye and resonated with me particularly as a fellow grumpy 50-something Rovers fan. Um, Can I pick up on one of your themes to start with, Michael? The whole shenanigans that these days is a Burnley match. How how did this happen? How can we stop it being a military operation to host a football match? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a major policing issue. But the sad fact of it is there was a real trend of police having what they call these bubble matches, where away supporters have to travel on designated convoys right up to the gates of the ground and you know since we played Burnley in 2000 I'm thinking um, all our games have been like that with the exception of the FA Cup game um, when we when we played him in the FA Cup in the middle part of the last decade about 2005 and yet um, and, and it is it's a thoroughly depressing experience about basically suspending your human rights for an entire day in order just to go and watch a football match. Maybe it's just my age, but I just think it almost intensifies the rivalry. It, there's no opportunity whatsoever to rub up against any of the other supporters. Not that you'd like to, with the atmosphere being as frenzied as it is. And maybe I'm slightly tainted in this one, because um, I've married into a family of clarets. And you know, my wife used to go to lots of Burnley games when she was younger. Her dad was a season ticket holder and a regular away fan. And I dare say there's probably more people than care to admit have relationships and friend, friendships with, with Burnley supporters. But the way in which a certain minority have been allowed to conduct the whole terms of trade of this game is it's just turned into this barbaric bear baiting. And the kind of things that people come out with are just embarrassing, frankly. Now, I'm all for a bit of rivalry. I'm all for uh, lording it over your rivals when you beat them. And it may sound like I just want to take all the heat out of it because we're on the losing side of this battle. But frankly, I think we've all got to maybe just take a pause for breath and look in the mirror. Scott? Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I actually read a great blog by James Wilkinson about that Burnley match and some of the things he particularly disliked about that match. And, you know, some of these so-called fans, you know, obviously the ones which actually went onto the pitch. And there's some some of it which he called Neanderthal stuff. And we do need to move away from that ideology of creating this feeling of hate. You know, I'm all for good-natured banter, but... You know, it shouldn't overstep that line into into idiocy, really. Um, and it's something which has been a bit of a challenge for me with this fanzine because the fanzine traditionally, you know, it's it's supposed to have a bit of anti-Burnley content in there. Um, but the problem with that is it can e- easily generate into that area where you know, y- you know, you're creating that that feeling of hate, but you don't want that feeling because it results in fans doing you know, what they did at the Burnley match. 
So I'm, I'm trying to move away from that if I can. And, you know, just, just yeah, try and create that good-natured banter, subtle humour, bit of satire, which I think, you know, is a bit more powerful in, in a rivalry. Linz, how, how does the Rovers-Burnley rivalry impact on you, given especially that, of course, you're from Nottingham, and so you, you, you don't, you've not grown up, grown up in East Lancashire or gone to school and had all of that sort of culture around the fixture? Um, obviously it matters to me, but I think I'm the sort of fan who is capable of taking that step back. And my primary concern when I go to a game is the safety of myself and others. And I can't bear this people running onto the pitch and taking somebody by the throat because they're a football player or equally some idiot letting off a flare and burning a child. I, I just don't get it. At what point did the real world stop for 90 minutes? So I don't want to be in a pub and have a chair thrown at me, which I've had from rival fans before. I don't want to watch people punching people on a pitch. I want to see a good game, have a bit of banter and come away. And I think the reason it's turned into the military operation is we've all got to take a little bit of responsibility for that. We're not idiots, but we're around idiots. We don't challenge idiots. I sit in the family stand. It was full of Burnley fans for the Burnley game. That's so inappropriate with kids there. And instead of kicking them out, they moved them into another stand. So you're just creating the problem. The club's got a responsibility there to sell tickets to the right people. And if you haven't, kick them out. So do you think those Burnley fans in there are come as guests of Rovers fans, or do you think they just created identities on the database? Were they there with children? No, they were very obviously Burnley fans, and I think that's completely inappropriate. See, I'm old enough to remember going to um, that famous um, Boxing Day game where Keith Fear uh, made his debut on loan of 1-3-2 after being 3-0 up, and I sat in the, you know, as a child... Uh, I sat in the Bob Lord stand, or the Martin Dobson stand, as we love to call it in those days. And yeah, there was banter, there was um, a, a lot of sort of jibes and all the rest of it, but I never remotely felt um, physically threatened. Uh, like Michael, I have offences to be taken into consideration as much as my maternal grandparents were, were from Burnley. Um, my grandfather on my mother's side tried desperately to uh, turn me into a Burnley fan as a child and he once bought me a Burnley shirt and saw me wearing it one day and I was running around sort of saying, uh, look at my Aston Villa kids, <laughs> what do you think of it? And that, I think then he realised that he was on a hiding to nothing uh, and, and the Rover season ticket soon followed. I just think it's sad, I think it's... Um, I don't know how how you make the first step to de-escalate it. I think that's the problem. Somebody has to make the first step and sort of say, you can trust us. Uh, and when Rovers fans go on the pitch and attack a Burnley player, then we simply can't be trusted. Uh, and that, I think, is, is just... It's just another facet of football, which which is really annoying. I won't go to Turf Moor for a game now. I won't be part of a of a bubble fixture. And I must admit, even the home games make me think twice. So, anything else that we think about the the Burnley fixture? What any radical thoughts about how we can change this? I, I just think the choice has been rather taken out of our hands now, hasn't it? Seems so. It's very un, it's very unlikely that we're going to be playing them for quite a well, while. Well, there is that. Yes, there is that. Which le leads me nicely, beautifully, segueing into the next point. There is currently a massive gulf. Um, again, I can remember when I first started supporting Rovers, Burnley were the team. They were in the first division. Uh, Leighton James was the star player, and I can remember going midweek, being taken again by my maternal grandparents to watch uh, to watch Burnley. Um, 
When do we think that gulf might close, Michael? I, I don't see it happening. I think the, it, it's not just a gulf between Rovers and Burnley. It's a gulf between the Premiership and clubs with a, a, a wages budget in 30 million plus, and ours have a wage budget of what about five million. Maths has never been my strong point, but it, you can see the absolute gulf and the amount of money that teams in the Premier League can um, can extend their squads. Look at Burnley; they bought Chris Wood from Leeds, you know, a competitive Championship side, a, a, a leading Championship side probably. And he makes a step up to the Premiership for enormous amounts of money. I think that gap's only going to get bigger and bigger because of the television money. And look at the three teams who went up last season. They're probably the three who are most likely to come down. Newcastle for their own set of circumstances, but the others because they simply don't have the budget to be able to compete yet. Once every season a club stays in the Premier League, it consolidates its status there. Look at Stoke and West Brom. You know, these were piddling third division sides when we were in our pump. And, and um, I, I just I don't want to be too depressing about it, but um, <laughs> we're ending on a high, aren't we? We're really ending it, on a high. It's going to be a long old road back. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I must admit, um, I think the sides coming down now. When we had our parachute payments and we squandered them, but the parachute payments that are coming now, of course, have risen in line with the TV deals that you'd expect. The only the only potential shockwave I could see coming down the line is a, a European Super League that might take the top six or seven clubs. And I wonder what that what impact that would have on the TV deals and whether that would cause some of those top of the second division in the Premier League sides to to curtail their spending. Um, but I do I do wonder whether we will ever play Burnley in a league fixture again in my lifetime. I must admit, if they stay up this season, I think the chances of them coming down in the next four or five years are slim. Uh, I think the chances of us getting back to the Premier League under the current ownership are non-existent, I have to say. It's going to be difficult enough, even if we had the best owners in the world. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's something else going on as well. I mean, it's less to do with Rovers and Burnley. Um, you, you look at the increasing uh, southernisation of the Premier League. It's only a matter of time before Reading, I think, will make their way into the Premier League again and maybe make a better stab at staying there. For them. And yeah, that and. It's about attracting international players. That the more that football's got international, and it, um, these sorts of players who are going to come from all over Europe, you know, they can have a house in London, and then they just move around different southern teams: Watford, Bournemouth, Reading, uh, any of the London clubs. And, and I think that's slowly going to push the centre of gravity of football in 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 England ever ever more southwards. And you've already seen that with the northeastern teams. You know, edging out of the Premier League and not necessarily finding a way back. But, mate, what was it, Rob Lee, that kept, when Kevin Keegan signed him, he tried to pers- he persuaded him that Newcastle wasn't as far north as Middlesbrough, and and Rob Rob Lee signed on that basis. Uh, I don't think he regretted the move, but it, perhaps it shows something about the average intelligence of the average footballer as well. So, Linz, are Michael and I just old farts, or uh, do we do we have a point? <laughs> What, on life in general oh, or on this subject? <laughs> more, more related to this subject. Um, I think for me, you know, some of the examples we've given there are around bad owners. And I think that's something that's endemic that maybe perhaps wasn't previously. And I think until we get a governing body that's willing to challenge that and until we go back to listening to the fans about what they want, 
we're just going to, you know, we're going to continue to be on this spiral. And I think for us as a club, until we're sold, which I never see happening, never mind in your lifetime, in my lifetime or in anybody <laughs> else's, you know, I think at the moment we're still in survival mode. So I can't, can't allow myself to dream of any kind of glory. I just take it week by week and hope we can get three points. And that's how I get through. I think that's all about being a football fan, isn't it? I think that's what so many people turn up for week in, week out. And at the end of the day, that, you know, if we never see us back in the Premier League again, at least we were there once and at least we were the very best once. And they can't take those memories away from us, as they say. Now you sound old. I do, don't I? That's because <laughs> I am. But there we go. Anyway, for, for all that I said... Uh... Uh, about not retaining this bitterness about our rivalry with Burnley. The one thing I do say to my beloved father-in-law is, Eamon, however much you can lord it over us now, you will never qualify for Europe, you will never win the Premier League, and you will never win the League Cup. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I genuinely mean that. You know, for all that relative dominance over a club of our status... They're not going to reach the heights that we did, no. and you know, we'll, you can never take those memories away from us," he said, bursting into a flood of tears <laughs> and banging his head. Well, I think on that emotional low point, uh, I'm conscious of time. Uh, time is always against us, but my sincere thanks to all our panelists tonight for giving up their time to contribute to this podcast. So, Michael, strong debut. Uh, I think I'll get my people to talk to your people about extending your contract. Linz, thank you very much. Having flown in from Italy, uh, thank goodness there isn't much of a time difference there, so you're not struggling with jet lag too much. And Scott, thanks once again for coming in and telling us all about 4,000 holes. I wish you all the very best with that venture. Thank you very much. Don't forget, Michael's Marple Leaf blog can be found at www.marpleleaf.co.uk. And last but not least, thank you all for giving your time to listen to us. It's appreciated. And feedback, as always, is welcomed on the BRFCS forum. So thank you, everybody, and goodbye. Actually, we have one extra item, as Linz would just like to say a few words. I just wanted to give a quick update on the hashtag for Megan campaign, which I spoke about on my first appearance on the podcast. Um, the aim when I first came on was to raise £2,500 in Megan's memory for Sheffield Children's Hospital and to have Dunny, who was her favourite player, tweet with the hashtag for Megan. Both of those were achieved fairly quickly after I appeared on the podcast, mainly as a result of the support from you guys. We've had about four to £500 donated as a result of the podcast, either through donations or through people giving me items to auction uh current total stands at about three thousand three hundred pounds so i think four thousand's got to be the next target now so i just really wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for all your support and to ask that over the next couple of weeks because the half marathon is the 24th of september that you keep hashtag for megan in your thoughts and also me in your thoughts as i embark on what's going to be the biggest physical challenge of my life um i'd love some messages of support on the day so my twitter is at lindslewis15 for anybody who wants to take pity on me and if you haven't donated yet or you'd like to share then the um just giving account is www.justgiving.com forward slash lewis 15 megan loved rovers and she would be so proud of what the rovers community have done in her name and i am so so proud of what we've all done it means the world to me and to those who loved her and were loved by her so thank you guys